special edition of Sermon Notes. I'm Clark, and I've got Garland and Michael with me, and uh, we're excited um, to discuss a current series that we're in called Reconstructing Our Faith, and we're taking a, a look at uh, a few different topics in this series, um, addressing this idea of deconstruction and what that word means, what it doesn't mean, what does it mean for our church, family, and um, we're looking at, at some topics, uh, the scriptures, we're looking at the church, and we're looking at discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so, guys, catch us up to speed a little bit about why we're doing this series. Yeah, man. This idea of deconstructing, it is a hot topic. Uh, I read an article the other day that said there's 260 plus thousand posts on Instagram with the hashtag deconstruction. And if you add other popular hashtags like exvangelical and leaving the church, um, it's it's a popular topic in online conversation. And if we had a nickel for every article that's been published in the Christian blog world on the topic of deconstruction, we could go ahead and pay off our Bentonville campus right now. Yeah. Um, it has been a very hot topic, and it's something that a lot of people, even within our own body, are talking about. Yeah, so just to be clear, what we are talking about here is is the 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 word kind of has a spectrum from every from somebody just flat out having some questions and some of those are really healthy to 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 examine and think critically about what it is we believe uh all the way to the other side of the spectrum which is people renouncing their faith and so it's a bit of a catch-all word in that sense and what you know a lot of us, myself included, have had personal experiences where we had to really wrestle with the truths of Christianity. And uh, I thank the Lord for those seasons. They actually still continue in my life. I still wrestle with a lot of doubt, and, and uh, I'm a skeptical person by nature. And so we, we're going after this for these three weeks because we want to be a, a church that's not afraid of some of these hard questions and um, where it's a safe place to wrestle and wrestle well. So um, yeah, we're excited for the series. Yeah. And so I think it's fair to call it for what it's not for sure is that we're still using the scriptures Yes, to have this conversation. So we haven't set the scriptures aside as authority. We're, we're using that. We're not... Um, promoting this walk away from our church family necessarily. We're asking us to take a fresh look at the church, and we're definitely not um, uh, reading into this a walk away from Jesus um, at the expense of the church and the scriptures. And so um, we are going to be in the scriptures here together uh, during this series, and so we don't, we don't want to forget that. And so, um, But we've got these three topics, guys, and um, Garland, you kicked us off this past week. And uh, if those of you listening haven't heard that teaching, uh, then be sure and listen to that. The series will make more sense if you go back and listen to that. But um, unpack that teaching for us a little bit and maybe some things that you didn't share. Yeah. So, I mean, people can go and, and listen to it. But the, the purpose here of Sermon Notes is we have a, I, I probably had two hours worth of content for that sermon that ended up getting cut. I still went over time. And so I had to apologize on Monday, but uh, I went a little long. Um, sorry to you early yeah, childhood yeah, volunteers out there listening. and the faith kids. Uh, that's my bad. So, um, but we wanted to take a fresh look at the scriptures. I think for many of us, uh, myself included, you know, growing up, I think I had what I might call a naive understanding of how the Bible came to be. Um, if you had pressed me on it, I would have said, no, it's really not like that. But I think what I thought was, um, 
I wouldn't have said it. I think I thought the Bible fell out of the sky in English um, for me to read and for me to personally uh, kind of take it and put it in my own words, my own life and apply it to my own self. It was largely about me helping me. And as I've, as I've just sort of come to understand how that we got the Bible, what the Bible is, what it isn't, a lot of that naive understanding has really been, uh, has had to be reworked. I've had to deconstruct what I thought, the, how we got this book called the Bible. Yeah, we actually, we inadvertently uh, confirm the, that wrong thinking when we say things like, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Right, or the roadmap for life yeah, or something like exactly. that. Yeah, so we... When, when we do that, we're propping up, we might say, a, maybe a, a, a poor expectation of how to read it. And so we spent some time talking about that on Sunday. I think, I think the, the pieces that I really had to cut were specifically on, um, we made this statement in the sermon, and we tried to craft this well uh, as a teaching team, but we said, the Bible is, and this is our statement, it's one story with multiple authors over a millennia of time, collected and edited to point to one great hero, Jesus. And uh, I'm in a Bible study with some guys on Wednesday morning, and some of those phrases caught them a little, uh, little landed a little weird for them. And so mm-hmm. I, think, I think working through each of those and acknowledging um, there is a human authorship to this book. Uh, I think another maybe naive understanding I had to how the, we got the Bible was an important Bible person with a name that I know, name like Isaiah or Moses or uh, Matthew or Peter, they sat down with a scroll and a, and a feather pen. It's always an old, in my picture, it's always an old bearded white guy with a feather pen. Don't and forget then, the candle. He's, uh, got, a he's candle. got a candle and there's like a, there's a glow coming through the window. And in a matter of a few minutes, their brains turned off. Um, they, their hands started writing and uh, they looked down and there was Romans or they looked down and there was the Torah. And I think when I have that understanding and then, you know, you go to a, a secular university or you watch a history channel show or you read a commentary Mm. and they begin to say, that's not exactly how this happened. In fact, the human hand in this is uh, really profound and we've got to appreciate it. It can freak you out. And it did for me, I remember. And so appreciating the multiple authors in this, Mm. that this took place over over a thousand years that this Bible uh, was being formed and fashioned by ancient Jewish prophets that's just not what I, when I was approaching the Bible, I wasn't appreciating any of that. And therefore it becomes really easy to sort of have a bad expectation. I think the one that, uh, mm. the one that threw the guys at the Bible say the most was the collected and edited, but we call the canonization process. And, um, I think it's a very, it's a tricky subject talking about the canonization of scripture. Why these 66 books? And we have, uh, other Jesus followers that have different collections of books. Our, our Catholic friends have a few more books that we don't have. And uh, we don't want to go into the weeds necessarily right here, yeah. but uh, we've got an Out of Curiosity podcast on the apocryphal books, and you can go listen to that. But uh, just suffice it to say, the, the canonization of Scripture was a, uh, a centuries-long process of recognizing which books we believe are inspired by God, the ones that God has uh, authoritatively provided for us. And, you know, I get asked all the time, prove to me that it's these 66 books. And uh, I'm I'm guessing you're listening to sermon notes because you wanted some of this, some of this extra stuff. And my response to that normally is I cannot, I can't, uh, how could I empirically in a scientific method kind of way, prove that Um, it's, I can't. Now, 
I believe it to be so. And there are reasons to be, to believe it to be so. There's the internal consistency. There's what we've found archaeologically. The more we find, the more the Bible just bears its own, uh, we might say its own validity, but it's a faith claim that we as Christians are making. Just like an atheist can't prove to me that there are no supernatural it's a faith claim. How would they test that hypothesis scientifically? When we get down to rock bottom of our worldview, uh, all of those things are matters of faith, things we believe. And so, um, yeah, and just the words edited or collected, right, can seem somewhat man centered. Mm-hmm. We forget that God's got this sovereign mm-hmm. plan that they're still inspired. Yeah, as the writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And maybe what maybe what was profound to me and Michael, you and I were talking about this morning. For, for some reason that you know, their brain turns off and they start writing and what comes out is this thing in 10 minutes, this, this letter we now call Romans. For some reason, uh, anything beside that felt weird to me. And now as I've come to understand it and appreciate it, um, to have a, a, a work like Isaiah or a work like Ezekiel take maybe decades to put together. And there's lots of historical things going on. And this human author is crafting this. And then the community is continuing to copy it and teach it. And now it's been translated and I can read that. And yet God is inspiring that entire process and has his hand in all of that. There's actually some beauty in that. And it took me a while to appreciate that. I think it just frustrated me at first and it made me nervous. But to come, come in to recognize, man, God has had his hand in this. It's a little messier. Uh, then, then their brains turned off, and out came Romans. But there's some cool beauty in that. That we and we want to be thoughtful Christians. Um, we live in Fable, Arkansas. Uh, we live in a secular uh, world in the American West, and so we've got to have good, thoughtful answers to some of this stuff. And that's the kind of the point of this series yeah. and this uh, sermon notes as well. So, I mean, I, I, we could talk for an hour on this because well, I'm really think, interested in it. I think part of this is figuring out how to believe that and the scriptures have authority in our life, which you addressed in your teaching this past week, Garland, but we apply that in the context of a greater faith community that we call the church. And Michael, uh, this week, you're going to get to address that and, and unpack kind of what, what are, where, where are we going with that? Yeah. So, uh, I mentioned this briefly Sunday, we're going to give an entire teaching to it this coming up week. Uh, most people who are angry are angry, not so much at God, they're angry at the church, and a lot of people have been hurt by the church, and a lot of their complaints and claims are valid, and the church has made mistakes. And I'm not referring to fellowship as much as I'm referring to the broader church, the the universal, the global church. And so our brothers and sisters at other churches and other denominations, people have been hurt. And when I see, um, I have a picture that's going to be in the teaching on Sunday of a girl holding a a sign that says stop the abuse, hashtag, hashtag church too. That breaks my heart mm. because I believe her. I believe that someone has treated her wrongly. Someone who's been placed in a position of a spiritual authority has abused that position and resulted in emotional, spiritual, even physical harm to her. And so, um, yeah, the, the church is full of sinful people, and thus it has the same problems as other organizations. But at the same time, what we're going to look at Sunday is the church is very different from other organizations because in our primary passage, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, in the church is revealed the manifold, the Greek word means many-sided wisdom of God. Mm -hmm. God is revealing his wisdom through the church. And what the church is, is a spirit-indwelled, multi-generational, multi-racial gathering of people who are... Uh, seeking to follow Jesus as their king and to make him known. 
Yeah, and that can be messy sometimes, hence some of the hurt and the pain that people have experienced. Yeah. And to be fair, even on our staff and in our experience here at Fellowship Fayetteville, um, I've had to personally go to staff, people that we love and work with and work through conflict, and just a few weeks ago apologize to a staff person um, because they're in my family right. of faith, and it's, it's what we do. Yep. And, um, and so to deal with that pain as we go and to offer forgiveness, um, some, some sins are more egregious in terms of their effect on people. Right. And so I think that's part of what we're working through in this series as well. And that family metaphor definitely, um, I think, makes it complicated. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, brought that up because that's actually the thing, as Garland said, he had two hours worth of material, a large chunk of the New Testament refers to the church using the metaphor of family. And we say it here all the time, that we're, we're your family of faith, um, that when we gather for worship, it's our, our fa- family of faith gathered here at Fellowship. And so that is the dominant metaphor for the church, and I'm really not going to unpack that as much in the sermon. Um, in the sermon, we're going to talk about the church being the wisdom of God and the bride of Christ, and um, I'm looking forward to getting to share some of that. But just this morning, uh, I was looking at Galatians chapter 4, And Paul writes there um, that uh, Jesus was born of woman, and he came so that we might receive adoption as sons. And he uses the word sons intentionally. He's not leaving out the women. Um, It's because we're in Christ. It's as if we are his son, just like Jesus. And so, yeah, an heir. And and he says, um, because we're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Um, So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And so and an heir of God, as you said, Clark. And so this idea that um, we would just walk away from the church, or we hear people say things like, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, I get closer to God on the lake than I ever could in a church building. Um, yes, of course we can encounter God um, in his creation. And and yes, um, we want people to be genuinely spiritual and not just going through the motions. But at the core of those sentiments is this idea that just me and God that's enough. And the New Testament's clear. That's not how this is designed to work. In fact, we're, we've been adopted into this broader family, and we have rights and responsibilities that go along with that. Yeah. And when we walk away from our family of faith, uh, we damage ourselves, but we also damage the family because God has designed each of us to play a part in that family, in the church. And yeah. so that that's what I would love for the people of fellowship to be equipped to talk to their friends who are saying, I'm, I'm following Jesus, but leaving the church. Um, that's not, I can say with confidence, that's not God's plan for them. Um, yeah. God's plan for them is for them to be part of a family that's following him together. Yeah. And we're using language like follow. Uh, they, some of, they were known as followers of the way. And in our third installment of this series, we're going to address Garland and Michael, this idea of discipleship. Um, and this phrase that that you and I have used, Garland, what are we even doing here? You know, <laughs> yeah, what's the point of this? Yeah, whole what's thing? the yeah. point of this whole thing? The last two years, I've asked that question a lot. Yeah. What are we even doing here? What is this thing that we call following Jesus? And um, how do we define that? What do those parameters mean? Uh, what is an abandonment to all things? And then what does that look like practically speaking? Um, Tell us a little bit about where where we're going with that teaching, Garland. Yeah, and just even picking up on your uh, this Ephesians three, Michael. So um, that the church makes the manifold wisdom of God known, but 
Notice what it says after that. Who does it make it known to? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And this is according to his purpose. Now, if you go look at the rest of Ephesians, there's a this backdrop throughout the whole letter of we're, we're making a, an announcement to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In chapter six, he'll say, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Um, what I think Paul has in mind here is this multi-ethnic, multi-generational coming together, following Jesus in a radical way where love reaches out and where forgiveness wins and where uh, justice reigns and all of those things that rip up society don't happen in this community. That's that's the purpose of the church. Like the church is doing that and you can't do that by yourself. Right. It, it necessitates mess. That, that, that That's why these letters are written because it's hard to do that. But maybe this is answering your question, Clark. Yeah. There's a why to this. Like the church will demonstrate its power when it creates the kind of community that no one else can create on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle, whether Republicans are in power or Democrats, whether socialists are in power and communists are in power or capitalists. The, the church is screaming, this is the way to be human. And it's the only way. And that just, when you brought the Ephesians three, I was like, that just gets me excited. So what are we doing here? I think when we think the story goes something like this, I think this is how I thought for years in my life. There's an angry God. He gave us rules. I'm supposed to do those rules, so I get to go be with him in heaven. But I don't know if I, I don't even know if I want to because he's mad. Jesus dies, and now I get to go be with God. And I, don't, I think many of us would say, no, that's not what it's about. But we kind of, I think I felt that for years. That was what the story was. So then, what are all these? What's all this obedience stuff? Well, it's just more rules. And as I read the Bible as rules to follow. And if you had really asked me, how do you feel? I'd say like a disappointment. Like God's just really disappointed because I haven't kept the rules and the things filled with rules. And I had to have a flip, and we're hoping to get our our church to see this flip. Jesus is inviting us to experience the new way to be human by following him. It's how we're meant to thrive and flourish, to see justice reign, not injustice and forgiveness, all those things that we're talking about. And it has a big purpose. It demonstrates to the watching world that Jesus really is the king. So our obedience then is essential to that. If we don't look in, I mean, we're going to walk through the Sermon on the Mount in this sermon, Matthew 11, the, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. That kind of a lifestyle, Jesus says, it's like a light on a hill. It's like a city on a hill, a light on top of a, 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 on top of a stand. And it's supposed to be filled with our good works that people see, mm-hmm. not to earn anything, but this is the demonstration that really Jesus is the true king. So if we live in the culture around us, but we don't look like lights, we're like salt that's lost its saltiness, Jesus says. Yeah. And now it, it, how does Jesus get shown as king? He can't. So the big why, what are we even doing here is we have an announcement that the true king has really won the victory over sin and death. But the way we manifest that is actually in how we live, what we choose to do with the week, with our weekends, what we look at, our time, our money, all of that. And it's messy because it involves other people. Um, but all of that it falls under the authority of this new king, Jesus. He's the king. So, yeah. yeah. So we what bend is it? our knee to him. Mm-hmm. And anecdotally, as we sit across the table from people um, all across Fayetteville and in northwest Arkansas, um, one of the things I've observed is that there's a lot of, I do want to, and I like to follow Jesus, 
but we've slowly added cultural traditions, church-specific traditions, or even our allegiances to certain ideologies, and they've become amalgamated with following Jesus. And if you just let Jesus speak in the scriptures, I've started wondering, you know, where have I had some personal misses mm-hmm. where I've added things to what it means to follow Jesus, and they've kept me from fully keeping that command to be his uh, wholehearted follower, if mm-hmm. you will. And we're all susceptible to that. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and th- that's where these three weeks all come together. Because if we place ourselves under the authority of Scripture, because as Garland effectively demonstrated in the first week, it is the very words of God for our lives. And we we place ourselves under that authority rather than telling the Bible what we will believe. Then week two, we gather with other believers and we hear from each other and we see and we learn from each other's experiences And then the third week, that leads us to this obedience. And if we never read the Bible and we never talk to another Christian and feel like, man, I need to make some changes. Like we we shouldn't go through our Christian life never having the Scripture rub up against us and make us feel like, I'm not really doing that. I'm Mm -hmm. not believing that. I'm not living Mm -hmm. that. Or be in Christian community and hear someone say something and think to ourselves, man, they're right. I have been wrong on how I'm viewing that or how I'm um, applying that or living that, um, then we're not keeping our hearts soft to God's word. And if we if we take the authority of Scripture, live it out in community, and seek to obey Him, um, what we're going to see is exactly what Garland's describing. It's that John 10, 10 abundant life that Jesus promised us rather than this um, struggle, this, this thing that um, is a a chore and a burden. Instead, it becomes just like breathing. Mm-hmm. We're free. Uh, just as a side note, I gave a, I, it was not an impromptu. I planned it out, but it, we didn't actually talk about it. All of us. Uh, I gave a little challenge at the end of the sermon this past week, which was to read John, to read it, uh, read through the whole book this week. And then again, the next week, I actually got my counting wrong. It'll be a third week before we start John. So that'd be three times to read through the the, the, the gospel of John in its entirety. And I'm going to put that challenge again out here on sermon notes in our community groups. I know we're all studying other stuff too, but let's commit. I, I pulled out John this morning, started reading again. Let's commit to read John three times before we start a a 21-week series on John together. And let's just see what happens if we said we're going to get to know our king again. Um, So, Hey, I'd like to uh, just finish our time on this episode um, just with just just a pastoral concern that I have, um, and I think we all feel this, is and an exhortation. Um, Those of the, the people that God has put in your life who are struggling through some of these things, uh, let me exhort you to be patient. Mm. And let's be compassionate and understand and see, try to see the world through their eyes and some of the pain that they've experienced. Um, at the same time, let's be bold enough to not let this deconstruction narrative be a veneer to hide behind um, for some people who are working through just unbelief. They're not buying into who Jesus is. And so I think there's, I feel that tension a little bit, is I want to lean into compassion, and but be compassionately bold with those who are using this narrative as something to hide behind a little bit. And so I think pastorally, we need to lean into those moments. And I can't imagine, um, you know, once we've come through this series, maybe some of the, our listeners will feel more equipped at that July the 4th dinner 
that Thanksgiving meal, that Christmas meal with a family member, and they can drop anchor into some of the hard things and do some real ministry in the lives of our family and friends. And so um, to that end, I hope this series will be helpful for our people. And uh, hey, it's great pastoring with you guys here at Fellowship Fayetteville and um, looking forward to the rest of the series. Um, We will see you again next time as we begin the Book of John together. And uh, we're going to be 21 weeks um, in the Book of John, and so looking forward to some of those episodes of Sermon Notes as well. Uh, Well, my name is Clark, and for Garland and Michael, uh, we look forward to visiting with you next time here on Sermon Notes. Sermon Notes.